Boker Tov, we are on Tehillim, in the second half of the 55th Psalm, Nun He. Uh, the question was brought up, we're studying Tehillim and we're seeing how David uses the Tehillim kind of almost like self-soothing. You know, it's almost like an expression of his anxiety and how by praying to God, it must have made him also feel better. So whenever we read Tehillim, let's say for a person who is sick, are we doing it to make ourselves feel comfortable or are we doing it in order to have the person get healed? So I think the basis for us saying Tehillim on behalf of other people is that, of course, by saying Tehillim, we self-soothe and it makes us feel better. But one of the other principles of Tefillah in general and of Tehillim in particular is that we've, we even saw it is that what Borei Olam wants in Tefillah is for a person to actually have that broken spirit. To, to really, really... The, there's Radak very early on in Tehillim. He's a commentary. He says that when David speaks of God's salvation, he always says it as if it's going to happen. Not as if... He also says, please make it happen. But very often he says, I know it will happen. Now, how can he have the, the gall to say such a thing? So Radak says, because anybody who prays with a broken spirit... He can be assured that he will be answered. Meaning that when a person really, really prays with that, that broken heart, that tefillah is much more readily answered than a person who is not focusing and is just doing lip service. right? So I think the idea with Tehillim, besides for the fact that it's self-soothing, is also that by connecting with someone who was in a difficult time or had a broken heart, or by reading the words of someone who spoke while he had a broken heart, we, we wake ourselves up and allow ourselves to feel the emotion while praying as well. That, I think, is the goal. Now, you don't get that if you're just reading words, if you're just reading the Tehillim without understanding. Exactly. So, yes. so that's the purpose of this whole class. This is the reason I record the Shurim and I made a whole podcast out of it is because the goal would be to give people an opportunity to actually understand what they're reading so that maybe it'll mean something for them and it'll have that desired effect. Because that, that's the ultimate goal. Thank you. Okay. So back to the, the fifth, chapter 55 of Tehillim. We, uh, David, it, we spoke about how according to the Chachamim, not in the Peshat of the text, but according to the Chachamim, the backdrop, historical backdrop of this psalm is... Whenever David discovered that Achitophel, who was once his own advisor, when Achitophel was siding with the enemy, which was his son of Shalom, David's son of Shalom. Now, he describes how if only I could have the, the wings of a bird so I could fly away and whatnot. And then he says, Yerushalayim has become filled with corruption now that I've left because at, at one point in the rebellion, David had to leave Yerushalayim. And he had to run away. And then all of a sudden, Abshalom and his comrades, they filled Yerushalayim and they, you know, they took over. And David is describing the places having become corrupt. Now, there's one element which, which we're going to see in the Mizmor now, which is how much David feels betrayed by the advisor who had once served him. So for the next few psukim, we're going to see David describe these feelings of betrayal from a person that used to be his friend and how the person is now siding with his enemy and is trying to sabotage him. Okay? So that begins in Pasuk Yud Gimel of, the, of this chapter. Okay? Pasuk Yud Gimel 
ואשא לא משנאי עלי הגדיל, ואסתר ממנו. כי לא אויב יחרפני ואשא, כי לא אויב יחרפני ואשא. It's not like we're talking about my enemy who will taunt me and then I could just bear it because he's my enemy. It's not someone who was my known enemy that he's now being trying to take over that I could just hide from him. Meaning if it was just my enemy who was taunting me and who was trying to make himself better than me, then I could accept it. But rather, who is sabotaging me? It is you. You are a man who is my equal, my guide, my companion. Meaning, you used to be my friend. And David feels this betrayal. You used to be my friend and now you're, now you're sabotaging me. We used to share secrets together. We would go to the house of God together with great excitement. We'd walk together to Kanisa. And now David says what he, he hopes, he prays to God. May he bring Yashi Mavet Alemo. May he bring death upon them, meaning death upon these, these saboteurs, the people who are against me. He so, feels so betrayed from the fact that his friend turned against him. That he says, please bring death upon them. Uh... Where is it? Let them go down, still living into the depths. For evil is their dwelling place that is inside them. Okay? So, so David says, you were once my friend. And if it would have been easier if you were my enemy. If you were my sworn enemy, it would be easier for me to accept. But we were friends. So now that you rebelled against me, Hashem, please let them get taken, swallowed up by the earth. And they should be, uh, uh, for evil is their dwelling place. Now, where is David getting this from? Where is David getting this punishment from? Because of Bathsheba, uh, huh? No, no, no. This specific punishment, what's the punishment he's saying in Pasuk, in Pasuk 16? May he bring death upon, may he bring up death upon them. Let them go down, still living into the underworld. Who went down still living into the underworld? This is my own chidush. Uh, Korach. Oh, Korach, yeah. Right? Yeah. So Korach went still living into the underworld. Yes, now, who Korach. was Korach? He was cousin of Moshe. Yes. And what was he doing? He was rebelling against Moshe. Why? Because he wanted power. Yes. So I have a hunch this that same? this is the same thing. Because he's complaining about Achitofel, who was his friend. Like, like Korach was Moshe's cousin. Okay, he was his friend. Who is rebelling against David to get power? Same exact story as Korach. And now David requests from God the same way you sent Moshe's enemies into the underworld, send these people into the underworld. Now here's the question: If I'm right that there's a relationship between this and David and and Moshe, then it seems like the Tanakh is hinting that for some reason anybody who who rebels and tries to take over power, the punishment. So far, twice we've seen is to go swollen, get swallowed up alive by the earth. What's the symbolism there? What's the meaning there? So I, I think, I think, what it's trying to tell you is that when a person is pursuing power, and that's their only goal, and they're willing to sacrifice 
all of their morality, their morals, and their friendships in order to achieve that power, they think that they are going up. But really they're going down into the netherworld, meaning they think they're achieving something. And they think by giving in to that voice inside them, which is telling them to, to seek power, they think they're doing something that's going to raise them up. But by definition, they're lowering themselves down. They're going into the, into the depth. And you could say the fact that they're swallowed up by the earth is saying that they gave in to the earthly temptation for power. And now they're trying to seek out power. So now the earth will be their place. If you seek out power. And I think it's, it's very, very um, symbolic. Because this is such a, such a core desire that people have, this desire for power. And what the Torah has to say about it is that if you seek the power and you give in to that earthly temptation, the earth will swallow you up. You will get swallowed up by your own attempts to get to the power. You won't get high, you will go lower. I think that, that may be the symbolism. Okay? A wider question. Uh, is it okay to curse somebody? To no, I somebody? wanted to ask the nephrine. I mean, well, what does that mean? Uh, curse. Curse somebody. Uh-huh. Nephrine. Uh, wanting something bad for somebody in Jewish. Uh, I was thinking enemy, about that. If your enemy is different, maybe hmm. it's a very good point. And and tell God. Maybe it's a test. God. This is telling God what maybe to do. Maybe it's a test by Hashem. Hmm. No. No. Well, why? Why not? If your son goes against you and all these things happen. But he's, he's not saying David. that about his... If you, if you, so uh-huh. if you read the story of David very carefully in Shemuel Bet, we're, we're going to get up to it soon. We're almost up to the story of the rebellion of Shalom. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. But you'll see that, that it's much... David has a soft spot in his heart for his son even during the rebellion where David holds back. He doesn't want them to kill him. Whenever they end up killing him, David is mourning and he's depressed and he's sad. So... He's not definitely saying it about his son. It's about his enemy who rebelled against him after faking like he's his friend. Which tells David that this whole time, this guy was never my friend. He was just doing it for power. Now, are you allowed to wish evil upon someone? What if the person is evil? Well, so you can't wish evil upon Hitler? Meaning you can't pray for... A, I, I'm not comparing Achitofa to yeah. Hitler. But I'm saying there is, a, there is a point at which the person is your enemy. I don't know. I, the I, only problem here is because it's Jewish. And up to what degree you consider your enemy? If just because been against you, if his attempt killing you, maybe that's you understand. You know what I'm saying? You, right. You saying Hitler? Was yeah, very good point. Not a, you have a very good point. Yeah. Sometimes you walk away. If so in this in you, this case, they're trying to kill David. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In this case, if the if the backdrop again, it's not even according to the, it's not even in the text. But if we take the commentary that tells us the Midrash that tells us that the backstory here is Achitofel so Achitofel's main goal was to help Shalom capture and kill David mm-hmm. so they could take over the throne okay but uh, it's a good question yeah okay I will call out to God and the Lord will save me he says it confidently evening morning and noon I speak out and I cry and God hears my voice. By the way, you notice the order that David says this. Wow. And in the night, in the morning, and in the afternoon. Arvid, Shacharit, Minchak. Because Arvid is the first three of the day. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's also there. You have it in the Modim. It wasn't taken from you. Right. Okay. 
God redeemed me unharmed from the battle because many people, while there were many people against me, so even though there were many people against me, God still redeemed me and He saved me from the battle. Let God, who is the one who has dwelled from very early on, meaning God who has been the, there forever, the God of old, let him listen and he should, uh, um, he should answer them. I should end Khalifat Lam or those people that they never change. They have no, they, they, they have no uh, interest in changing their ways. And they do not fear God. The Pasuk is a little bit jumbled and you, I kind of reordered it for everyone. But, but let God who, who dwells forever, who is the unchanging, perfect God who has been there, who has been around since forever. the beginning of time, let him hear what's going on. He should answer them. And he should give. He should deal with them appropriately. Those people who do not change and have no fear of him. Now he's going back to Achitofel. Achitofel, or, or this enemy, he sent his hand out against those who were his friends. He violated his covenant. You know, when a person shows you their friendship for so long, it's, it's almost like there's a covenant between you, and then they go against you or they sabotage you, right? That's that's uh, like breaking a vow or breaking a covenant. His speech was smoother than cream. However, there was battle in his heart. So his, he had a slippery tongue that was smooth talking, but really what he had in his heart was battle and war and power. Raku devarav mishemen. His words were softer than oil. The hemma pitihot. But they were, I don't know what pitihot means. Drone swords. Oh, oh, oh that's interesting. They were, they were like, they were like uh, swords. They were like swords going on. I don't know how that translates from pitihot to swords. But they were like drawn swords, it says here as well. Here, here, it says another thing. Alternatively, like traps. That makes a little more sense. Pitichot. His words were smooth like oil, but they were like traps. Ultimately, that's what David is discovering about this guy. That he never was a friend. He was always in it for himself. He's trying to... Cast your burden. This is a classic pasuk. Cast your burden upon Hashem. Your yehavicha, whatever you have to give... Put it upon Hashem. And He will sustain you. He will never let a tzaddik stumble or falter. He won't let the righteous slip. This we know, this pasuk we've seen. But you God, bring them down into the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit, let them not even half their days. What does it mean? Let them not, have, let them not live out half their life. Let them die halfway through their life. But I shall trust in you, God. So again, this theme of them going down into the pits, uh, I do think there is symbolism there, and I think it's related to the Korah. I think when people pursue power, they get swallowed up by the earth that they're trying to dominate. You know, I think the symbolism is something like that. And once again, we see David soothing himself through the Tehidim, right? I Let them get destroyed, but I will continue my faith in you. I know... I throw my lot upon God. I cast my burdens upon God. And He sustains me. Because He will not let a tzaddik falter. 
you know, if we should have the zakhut to be like tzaddikim, so that we could cast our burden upon God and have the confidence that we have nothing to worry about. Baruch Amen, amen.